listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. We're going to turn to the Word of the Lord as we prepare for, for the Word today. And we're going to, I'm going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What really satisfies us anyways as human beings? What makes us happy, fulfills us, gives our lives meaning? Uh, It seems like every summer I get to wrestle with these big life questions. You might think, well, man, your summers sound miserable. But it's not that I I sit out doing it. It's just that I sort of find myself caught up in the stream of culture here in the Dakotas. And um, for whatever reason, our our efforts to find happiness and satisfaction ramp up in the summer, I think, anyway. Uh, It's like we lose our one excuse that that we're not happy, which is that the weather's terrible. And now we all of a sudden realize, hey, I've got to get about finding happiness. I've got to be about having a good time and enjoying life. And so, you know, we start looking around and saying, gosh, I really need to get in shape because I'm going to go to the beach a few times and uh, this just isn't going to work. So uh, we, we start, you know, our new gym membership, start working out a little bit, maybe getting a tan. Uh, we start looking into maybe a new toy here or there, a, a bigger boat or, or maybe a jet ski or something like that. Uh, Justin, I know you're in here uh, and you're listening. Maybe, maybe, we, uh, maybe we, we, we look into some of our investments for the future, things like that, that we can have freedom of time and money. And, and maybe you're even struggling with envy because you're on Facebook and people are constantly posting their vacation pictures and all the fun they're having and all the happiness that somehow they've attained. And all my months of maybe years of, of doing this little summer, uh, you know, project where I, where I sort of research this and look at it, I've noticed a couple things. The first thing I've noticed is that very few people ever slow down for a moment to ask themselves an important question. Is what I'm doing going to actually bring me happiness or not? I mean, is my plan for happiness actually going to work? 
Almost no one really ever slows down enough to ask that question. We're just busy, 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 just going after it. We really have no clue what the results of our, of our efforts will be. You know, the second thing I've noticed is that many people who achieve the life that sort of everyone else is after, they get the time, the, the freedom of time and money, they have sort of the big life, they have all the toys, they have the relationship. Everybody else that looks at them says, oh, if only I could be them. A lot of those people aren't happy either. A lot of those people aren't satisfied either. You know, in fact, uh, statistics show that a certain level of income, having your basic needs met, is very important for personal happiness. But above and beyond that, it really doesn't make any difference at all as far as happiness goes. I don't know where you find yourself today, but I know one thing about you, and that is, no matter who you are, you want to be happy. You desperately want to be happy. You want to be satisfied in this life. You want to find meaning and joy in it, and I don't blame you. Um, You might be searching in all kinds of different things, and and I can understand it. I want to be happy too. Um, I want to be very happy. So no fault there, but today, I just want to raise the question with you. The question that so rarely gets raised, is your plan going to work? Are your efforts for happiness actually going to get you where you're going, or will they in the end leave you more empty? more broken. See, in our scripture today from Ecclesiastes, we get to think about this as we watch someone pursuing happiness and satisfaction. It's it's an absolutely fabulous passage because it's like getting to read someone's journal, you know, Uh, getting to read someone's memoirs of of this fabulous life, this, this unbelievable life that they lived, and seeing what the results were of all their efforts to find happiness and satisfaction. Uh, Now, as we go through this passage today, we're just going to kind of walk through it. I want you to notice three things uh, about this particular king who does this search. Um, First of all, he lets us in on the actual details of his search. He he tells us exactly how he did it, exactly what he went after. And then he tells us the results of the search in, in the most frank and stark, honest terms. He just tells us exactly what he found. And then finally today, we're going to look at his ultimate conclusion to his search. So come along with us uh, here this morning. I'm hoping that as we, as we look at this king's search, it's going to inform our own search for happiness. It's going to help us, help guide us, and maybe we won't have to make all the same mistakes. Uh, now, before we dive into the search specifically, I want to say a few things about the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a fabulous book. Um, this is a fascinating book. It's a page-turner. But you have to be careful not to read Ecclesiastes like you would um, something in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, or one of the letters of Paul. Uh, lots of commentators have said that Ecclesiastes is a mystery to how sometimes it got in the Scriptures. Uh, because it sometimes, you know, you're reading it and you're like, is this in the Bible? Let me check which book I grabbed here. Um, because it, it's just that way. It's very earthy. Um, it's, it's very fleshy, kind of. And so you have to be careful not to just take a, a Scripture out of Ecclesiastes because it's in the Bible, post it on your Facebook wall, and try to live by that. All right, as you'll soon discover, we don't want to do that. Instead, we have to read it for the whole of the message of the book. There's, there's one big central message, and we're going for that today, and that's why it made it into the canon of Scripture. Uh, now, Ecclesiastes is thought to be written by King Solomon, which would make sense, but there's been some debate about that in, in recent years. And if so, he's one of the most fabulously wealthy, wise kings ever, and this is a, a really cool opportunity to get sort of into 
um, his psyche, get into his brain, and, and hear the thoughts on his life. So when you think of Ecclesiastes, whether it's Solomon or not, it's wisdom from God, and picture yourself sitting down with maybe your favorite celebrity, okay? Uh, maybe your favorite pro athlete or celebrity, someone who's had literally everything good happen to them. You know, all the resources that they ever wanted at their fingertips, this fabulous big life that you could only dream of, they became wildly successful beyond their imagination, and then at the end of their life, they sit down and they say, hey, look, we got to talk. I want to talk to you about what really makes a person happy and satisfied. Now, I'd pay attention to that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd be paying attention. So that's what we're going to get to do here uh, these few moments this morning. First of all, he tells us about his search. For happiness. Now, let's look at it here in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Isn't this interesting? He, he goes about this search almost with, it almost sounds like the scientific method here. He's saying, I'm going to be the subject of my research and I'm going to be the researcher. He's not going to go out and study other people. He says, I'm going to to do the research, but I'm going to do it on myself as I experience all these pleasures. Uh, So he's taking sort of a, I'm going to keep my wisdom on, I'm going to keep my brain turned on while I do these things, and really watch what makes me happy. That I'm just going to journal about it and write about it and document my results. It's a fascinating study. Now, most of us in here are probably not doing that. That takes a lot of deep thought, and like I said, most of us are too busy to even stop and ask the question. But it's important to understand that whether or not you're doing a a research project like the king in Ecclesiastes, every single one of us in here is doing a research project of our own. We might not even realize it, but maybe hundreds or thousands of times a day, your brain says to you, that would make you happy. That would finally satisfy you. This is what all of marketing is geared towards, by the way. That's why there's so much sex in it. Because it says, this, here, you need this product because that's finally going to make your life happy. Here, if you had this, then, then this would satisfy you. Or look at this. Here's this. Here's that thing. Here's this thing. And so your brain's constantly just doing that. It's saying, what if, what if I had this? Maybe that would be it. What if I had that? So you're constantly searching. Do you feel that? Every single one of us is on this kind of a research project, very similar to the one in Ecclesiastes. Now, that has, there's good reason for that. We all want to be happy. According to Aristotle, happiness is the ultimate end and and, and purpose of human existence. Um, Aristotle taught that, you know, as one of the great Greek philosophers who who did a lot of work in this area, he said that happiness is really the base of everything we want, isn't it? So he says, yeah, we want power, we want sex, we want money, we want romance, we want freedom, but really we want all those things because we want to be happy. Happiness is the base, and therefore he said it's the ultimate thing. It's the big thing that we all want, that we're all after. Now, we're going to disagree with Aristotle a bit today, but whether you realize it or not, you're on the same journey as the king here in Ecclesiastes. And, you know, I think it's fascinating that this king is actually searching for happiness. Doesn't that startle you a little bit? The fact that he's on a search and he already has everything tells me something. First of all, it tells me that happiness is not normal or automatic. And maybe sometimes as, as Americans, you know, we talk about the pursuit of happiness and stuff. We, we lose sight of that, that the pursuit of happiness is something we're all doing, rather, and we start thinking that happiness is just natural and automatic. Happiness is not sort of the state 
of the human heart if you just let things go. And some of you in here, this is going to help you, who, you know, especially those of you who battled a little bit with depression. Um, you think, boy, somehow my, my knobs got dialed wrong, and I just wound up sadder than other people. Of course, we all have different uh, you know, physiologies and neurochemical makeups that lend some people to being, having more cheerful disposition than others, but happiness for humans is not just normal. Uh, in fact, all the Greek philosophers taught that this was something that had to be worked for. There's a great deal of effort that had to be given, put in to get to happiness. I think half of our battle, maybe a third of our battle as Christians, is that we're sad because we're sad. You know? We're unhappy because we're unhappy. Um, we're, we're really bummed out because we thought life would be better than this. Uh, it, it has everything to do with your expectations. Um, imagine for a second, the difference between being a cab driver here in Sioux Falls versus being a cab driver, you know, in China where Daniel and Carla are from or in New York City, somewhere there's just, you know, millions of people. A cab driver here in Sioux Falls, if you get into a little fender bender or you bump someone, that's a pretty bad day. You've got to go home and report that. You're probably even going to have the cops come out, write up an accident report. <laughs> it's going to be a kind of a big deal. It doesn't happen very much. In New York City, you get a little bump, the cab drivers get out and say, well, that hasn't happened for a couple hours, and they keep moving, and they get back in and go. Um, a lot of happiness has to do with your expectations. Um, so that's the first thing that it tells me, that this king is actually searching for happiness and satisfaction, that it's not normal, um, but it is something that you know, people seek after. We all seek after it. The second thing the search tells me is that, and my own search tells me this too, is that somewhere deep inside of us, somewhere deep inside my heart, your heart, the king in Ecclesiastes here, we believe we were made for incredible happiness and satisfaction. Somewhere in our hearts, we just believe that. Um, This led C.S. Lewis to making some, some big conclusions. He said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world satisfies, I can only conclude that I was made for another world. I think that's a valid question uh, to say to yourself. If I find in myself this relentless desire to be happy and satisfied, and yet I understand this is an evil, dark, broken world, why in the world would I assume that I should be happy? Why in the world would I believe that I can be? Who wrote that in there? Who put that in my heart? How, is, how did that get there? Um, if we're all just here by chance and, and natural selection and survival of the fittest, then why would you end up with this relentless, annoying desire to be happy? More on that later. But let's get into the, the search itself. Okay? Oddly enough, this is written over 2,000 years ago, but it sounds strikingly modern. I mean, this could have been, aside from a few details, this could have been written last week for all we can see. Uh, let's look at what the king goes about here. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Let's look at the specific things he goes to, to try to to try to fulfill himself, to try to satisfy himself, to try to find happiness. First, we can group together sex and the romantic relationship. Verses 8 and 10 say this uh, pretty uh, starkly. He says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And he goes on, and and I've always found this scripture to be absolutely stunning. He says in verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Can you imagine 
this kind of a life. I mean, anything he saw, he, he got. Anything he wanted, even the, the, the littlest bit, he took for himself. And this included uh, anything with romance and sexual relationships. Now, if this is Solomon, we, we can see he clearly went overboard in this area. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He really went after it, right? He gave it a fair college try to find happiness in the sexual and romantic relationship. And, and you know, nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years, has it? Now, maybe we don't have concubines and, and lots and lots of spouses, but... Um, I mean, just look around. In this culture, it, the, the pervading belief is you cannot be a happy, satisfied person unless you satisfy all of your sexual desires. How could you? I mean, you just feel like a unicorn saying that. But you could actually be happy and satisfied if you don't satisfy all your sexual urges, right? The culture teaches that you just can't be happy and satisfied unless you satisfy all your sexual des- drives and desires. Um, additionally, uh, that leads us to, you know, problems in our romantic relationships where we say, well, if I'm having trouble with this spouse and, and, or this person and, and this romantic relationship isn't fulfilling me, it isn't making me happy, we think, well, it's time to move on. It's time to trade it in. I was listening to Sports Talk Radio. I know it's one of my sins. A couple of weeks ago during the NBA playoffs, and I try to limit it because some of the advice is just so bad. And they get into other areas of life. I'm like, just stick, stick to poor sports guys because any other area of life, they get really in bad shape. But he was talking about uh, sports teams that are winners versus losers. And he said, you know, y- you should just trade and, and start cheering for a team that's a winning team rather than hanging on to your losing team. And he's trying to make a point about that. So he used the terrible analogy of, look, if your wife, you know, if, if she wasn't making you happy anymore, you're not going to stick with that. And, I mean, it's time to trade it in and get someone else. And I realized that's, that's a belief in our culture. It's a sad belief, but it's there. Maybe this is you today. You're trying to find your happiness and satisfaction in sex and the romantic relationship. Well, he tried it. Next, he tried wine and laughter, sort of the party life. Look at verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with, my, with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. You college students especially, you're sold this, this lie that you have four years of good life. Really, right? And what's so good about it is you get to drink yourself into oblivion. For four solid years, you get to be intoxicated. And all the parties, all the sex, all the, all the drinking all the whatever, and that's what really, that's really what makes you happy. You know, that's really what satisfies you. And he says, I tried it. I've been there. Uh, I got the t-shirt, you know, and and you know all the beer commercials. They say, uh, find your beach, live it up, grab some buds, and every commercial is filled with people half naked, running around, playing sand volleyball, you know, sitting on their cooler, and then they're really, really happy. And is that really you know, where it's found. Well, he says, I tried that. He tried that. He tried finding it in great works, success, fame, accomplishments, the occupation, and we certainly look there as well. Verse 4, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. You know, we certainly look to our careers, our jobs, to find that happiness and satisfaction we're looking for. Lots of us look there. If I could just nail that promotion, 
if I could just surpass this person in sales, if I could just get that notoriety in that office or that position or that recognition or have that accomplishment, then I would finally be there. Then I would finally be happy. I'd finally be satisfied if I could just land that salary. He said, I tried this. I tried it. Um, Of course, no one's going to go after happiness and satisfaction without trying this fourth thing. He tried money and possessions, of course. Verse 7, he said, I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. This is where it starts to, you know, differ from 2015. You don't have herds and flocks. You have, you know, big houses and lots of garages and lots of cars and toys. He says, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. This guy had everything he ever wanted. And you know the temptation. This is the American dream. The more stuff you get, the more happy you will be. It's a simple formula, right? But all of the studies have shown it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the king here says, I tried that. I had everything. I had absolutely everything. And maybe this is you here today. You're thinking, if I could just make the next level of income. Because we're always thinking about that, right? We're just thinking, if I could just be as wealthy as that person right above me. If I could just have that salary, if I could just have those toys, if I had that zip code, if I had that country club membership, then I would be on the in club. I'd have that status. I'd have that uh, prestige. And I'd finally be happy. I'd finally be satisfied. He said, I tried that. Then lastly, he says he tried power and status. Verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Now, I don't know about this from experience, but there's something about being great, and then there's something about being greater than everyone else, right? Something about being great at what you do. You just like to feel like you're good at what you do, but then there's another class of people that are like, I want to be better than everyone else. When the list of the greats comes out, I want to find myself at the top, you know? Um, athletes really fall into this, but also in business, also in, in, in our occupations. We, we can become really driven towards this because something says if I'm at the top and I get that recognition, I get that approval, I get people saying you're awesome, you're, you're, you're the best, nobody can top you, that feels so, it's so addicting. And we think finally there, I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy. He said, I had it all. I was the top. I was the top dog. So, this is, this is the, the, the way he went about his search, and I think, wow, what an in-depth search. Is there anything he missed? Maybe you can throw it out. Uh, I think he covered all the big ones. Uh, I think he tried his best to find it, and I, I think he did a really thorough job. Now, let's see what happened as the results of the King study. What were the results of his findings? Did he find the happiness and satisfaction that he was looking for? Did he, did he say, oh, and here it was? After all this time, here it was, in this one thing, well, of course, we gave it away in reading the text to begin with. He sums up his findings with one word. In the ESV here, it's vanity, but his one word is the theme of the whole book, meaningless. It was all meaningless. All this effort, all this stuff, all this money, getting everything that everyone else in life seeks after, he says, meaningless. One word. Now, maybe you think, 
okay, maybe he wrote this during the down week. Maybe he's a little bit depressed. You know, everybody has a, a bad week, and maybe he snapped out of it the next week and just said, oh, you know, I can't believe I ever wrote that. I am really actually happy. But wait, Ecclesiastes is not the only place that this message has been heard, especially not since then. In fact, many of the greatest thinkers throughout history have said similar things. The famous German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said the same thing. He became famous, in fact, for saying that life had no meaning. It made perfect sense to him that if we're all an accident in the beginning and when we die, we rot, then everything else in the middle of our lives is totally pointless and meaningless. It's gloomy, but it's hard to refute the logic if that's what you believe. Then, of course, there's the famous writer, Leo Tolstoy, who seemed to have an Ecclesiastes-like life experience. He had, you know, he got into the, you might call it a middle-aged crisis. Uh, you might call it about with depression, whatever it was. But he wrote a book called uh, A Confession that sounds almost exactly like Ecclesiastes, uh, where he comes to it. And listen to what he says. Listen to what Tolstoy says. This is one of the most famous authors in all of history. He said, my life came to a standstill. I could breathe, eat, drink, and sleep. And I could not help doing these things, but there was no life. For there were no wishes, the fulfillment of which I could consider reasonable. If I desired anything, I knew in advance that whether I satisfied my desire or not, nothing would come of it. Had a fairy come and offered to fulfill my desires, I should not have known what to ask. And he goes on and he says, Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? That is what's surprising. This is still Tolstoy. One can only live, get this, one can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. See, Tolstoy is saying the same thing Ecclesiastes is saying here. He says, sure, there's a time for intoxication with pleasures. And sure, you can sort of ignore the big question for a while, just running after the pleasures. But he says, if you stop for a moment, you're going to sober up. And you're going to realize you're not happy. You're not really satisfied. And all the things that you've sought after to, to make you happy haven't done it. And it's going to be lots worse than before. And he says, it isn't funny. I'm not laughing about this. It's not amusing. It's stupid. What was his words? It's a stupid fraud. Modern writers have said similar things. I will never forget uh, reading Cynthia Heimel's article uh, where she wrote, uh, she wrote this actually back in 1990, but she wrote this, and I think it's brilliant. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. Now, Heimel's not a Christian, so take what she says with a grain of salt. But it can be very true. What she's saying, she's just pointing out what she sees. I had a professor in, at USF who, or at uh, the seminary who always said, human beings would much rather travel hopefully than arrive. See, once we're traveling to some place where we really believe it's going to make us happy, there's a little level of happiness in there because it's like, well, I'm traveling along and I know once I get there, I'm going to be super happy. But these celebrities have actually arrived. 
They become wildly successful beyond their imagination. They have everything they ever thought that would ever make them happy, and it didn't work. Their plan failed. And their lives start to unravel. That's what Heimel's saying here. That's what Tolstoy's saying here. We wind up depressed. We wind up saying, what in the world? We sober up. Troubling, I know, but these are the results of the king's study. And these are the results of humanity's study if you're honest with, if, if, when people are honest with themselves, when they really look at it. Now, at this point, you might be saying, I wish I would have slept in. This is a pretty, it's a pretty depressing sermon here, <laughs> Pastor Dave. Uh, I, I didn't need to, to wake up to come and hear all this. I could have you know, just thought it through and, and would have been fine without this really negative message. Hang on. There's, there's an ending to this. There's a conclusion to the book, uh, which I think is great. Um, our guy, our king, whoever it is, if it's Solomon or, or someone else, comes to a major conclusion at the end, and he gives us this ultimate conclusion in chapter 12. Now, I didn't have Wade read it because I wanted it to be a surprise. Everybody loves surprises. That's the positive part of this message. No, I'm kidding. There's more, there's more than just the surprise. But, but this surprise is what he learned. Okay? His ultimate conclusion after this massive uh, research project on what makes him happy and satisfied, he comes to this conclusion and he says this in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which he will say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, remember your creator. And this word in the Hebrew um, is very significant because when, when God said, I will remember my people Israel, he wasn't just saying, I forgot about them. And so now I remember. He was saying, I'm going to act on their behalf. So to remember your creator means to put that into your actions, to build your life around something. That's what it means to remember and here in lies the secret. You know, if you're just here by accident, if you're just a collocation of molecules, if you're just here by random chance and natural selection, then live it up. Eat, drink, enjoy whatever you can for tomorrow you die and it's all pointless. But if what he's saying here is true, if you have a creator, an all-powerful creator who loves you and who made you in his own image, then everything you are belongs to him. And there is no possible way, you're for him, there's no possible way that you'll ever be happy or satisfied apart from him. That's what he's saying here. Remember your creator before it's too late. He used used like four metaphors there to say before it's too late, before you die, remember your creator. Wake up, sober up. Remember your creator before it's too late. This is the secret. You know, if you, if you take this argument a little bit further, let's think about an example here. If you have an antique, if you, if you come across an antique and, and you're not sure what it does, um, you wouldn't ever try to start taking it apart and fixing it because you have no idea what it's for. Same thing is true with the human heart. There's no possible way to get it running properly. There's no possible way to bring about human flourishing until you understand what it's for. You were made for God. You were built for him. On that premise, there's no possible way you'll find happiness and satisfaction apart from him. St. Augustine came to this conclusion in his confessions. He said in a prayer to the Lord after he had tried, especially satisfying his desires in, in sexuality, he said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And if Augustine is right, then this is true. I mean, if it's true that there is a God and that you were made for him, then if you make happiness your ultimate thing, you will never get to happiness. Have you noticed that? People that make one, or one thing or another in life, your job, success, your family, if you make that the ultimate thing, you'll never get to that because everything's all out of order. Nothing can actually be achieved or accomplished unless it is done inside God. And actually, Augustine is famous for, for teaching that, that nothing can actually be enjoyed unless it's enjoyed in God. So happiness and satisfaction, therefore, come as just a byproduct of loving and serving the one you were made for, being in relationship with him. Happiness can't be the ultimate thing or you'll never get it. C.S. Lewis said that God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself. It doesn't exist. Now, I don't know what this means for you here today. Um, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're saying, okay, I, I buy what you're saying, Pastor Dave, uh, but how in the world do I ever get back to this God that you know, made me and, and you know, I, I want to be happy. I, I desperately want to be happy and satisfied. I'm not. But how do I get, back, how do I get myself back to this God? Well, that's the great news because this God didn't require you to come back to, you, to him he actually came to us. He came to earth, was born as a baby, lived, died, and rose again so that you can come home to the God you were made for. See, on the cross, Jesus Christ gave up all of his happiness so that you and I can be happy someday forever. He was separated from his father on the cross so that you could come home to your father, the one who loves you, the one who made you, and the one apart from whom you'll never be happy or satisfied. You're going to have a chance to come to him in just a few moments. Now, for those of you who are Christians in here, you might say, well, Pastor Dave, uh, what's wrong with me? I've been a Christian for many, many years, and I'm still not really that happy. You know, anybody in here saying that? Uh, there's, there's lots of things to consider here, but I think as, as Christians, it's important for us to remember this thing. We are not promised the ultimate, um, the ultimate conclusion to our happiness in this life. Remember, we're in the already, not yet. God's kingdom is here. It's begun, but it's not finished yet. It's not completely arrived yet. Um, so we're, we're, we're living in this broken, fallen, sinful world with all these things that make us sad and, and make us grieve because we know the world isn't supposed to be like that. And yet we're happy because we're looking forward to a new world to come where God erases all those things and restores our joy forever. So in a sense, Christians are going to be, if you're you're signing up to be a Christian, you're going to be one of the happiest and saddest people in the world all at the same time. Your heart's fuller. It's full of all kinds of emotion, joy and gladness and mourning and sadness over all the brokenness. Okay, so hang in there. Happiness is coming, but you're not going to get there right now. Not completely. So, So hone your expectations a little bit, right? If you don't expect to be blissfully happy all the time, you'll find yourself more happy. For all of us in here today, I want to leave us with the question that we started with. Is your plan for happiness and satisfaction going to work? Are you going to get to where you want to go, or is it going to leave you more empty, more broken, more frustrated once you sober up? That's the question I'm asking today. My prayer is, my hope is that we can look at the words of the king here in Ecclesiastes. And we can actually say, I don't need to continue the experiment. 
All of humanity has shown me that this is not going to work. It's not going to work to be happy in something else. It's not going to work to try to find my satisfaction completely in something else. Sure, you can enjoy a sunset and a glass of wine and a good meal, but only, those things can only be enjoyed in God. They can only be enjoyed in God. If you look to one thing to, be, to make you happy and satisfied, it's never going to work. So maybe we could say, look, I don't need to try all these things. Lord, help us if you do, you know, if you have to try everything to be sure. But I think that the long course of human history has shown us that this is not going to work. So could we say, I'm only going to be happy and satisfied in God? Could, could we come to that place? That is the place of truth. That is the place of wisdom. And we would come home to our Father, the one who went to such incredible efforts to bring us back to himself, the only place where we'll ever be happy and satisfied. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you today that you have considered our happiness and satisfaction very important. That you have have gone to such lengths uh, to bring us back to yourself. Lord, we pray now that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would continually mentally turn from other things that, that say to us, come here and this, this, will, this will satisfy you. This will bring you happiness. And that we would constantly turn to you, put all of our expectations for joy and happiness on you, the only place where it can really be found. It's in Christ's name we pray today. Amen.